Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She's a girl and she's prettier than you. But other than that, I'm always glad to have the man who I call the future of all sports media, Mr. Joe Weidra. How you feeling, Joe? I'm doing great, G. Hey, I'm totally cool with that. You know, if I beat out Tuan, I feel like my day is kind of made. So, And you called me adorable, which I think is pretty great, G. You know, it really it, it means a lot for my emotional state. So for that, I thank you. Well, I'm like almost 20 years older than you. I I I think it's fine for a 20 for a guy who's 20 years older than another man. You can be like that kid's adorable. You know, like, <laughs> like it has no bearing on anything. It's just like it's adorable, and you are. You know, you, you do your thing out there. But you know what? I I, I joke around because you're younger or whatever. But but you're handling your business like a man out there, like a man. I I see you on social media, you know, and you're handling your business out there, man. I'm proud of you. Well, hey, I appreciate that. I learned everything I know from a guy named G. Steele. No, I have to say that at your show. But uh, I, I did learn some things from you, G. You've been, uh, you've been instrumental in me, uh, you know, this whole podcasting game. I remember my first time I was on a shout-out to Chris Shanafelt. He was uh, doing his first show, and we were just kind of banging it back and forth. But uh, it's definitely taught me a lot. So, G, you're, uh, you're up on my – I guess if you tell me I'm top three, you're on my top three mentor list kind of thing. So I'm not going to give you number one. I'm not going to tell you who number one is, but you're in your top three. Oh man, I gotta figure out who number one is now. I I I have to I take that guy out. Whoever number one is, <laughs> I want to take that top spot. I want to take that top spot. But um, 
we got you back on because obviously we got the draft coming on Thursday, which I'm excited about. If I'm excited about it, I, I, I know you're more than excited about it. And I wanted to go into more into the into into the draft. I want to talk about my nonsense mock draft that I put up. And I want to talk about some sleepers that you have in the draft because I know you do a lot of research. You've been doing research since the college football season started. I want to know who you have going in sleeper-wise. But I I actually want to touch – I actually would like to touch on basketball, but I know that's like speaking Japanese to you at this moment. So I I won't go into basketball. What I will say, though, my Brooklyn Nets putting up a fight, the number eight seed Brooklyn Nets putting up a fight against the number one seed Atlanta Hawks, even up the series at 2-2. Proud of them, Brooklyn. You go hard, and they actually are putting up a fighting chance for this for this um, first round victory, and I love them for that. You, you, you know, Joe, in any sport, like if, if you're the fan of the lowest seeded team in the playoff, the only thing you can hope for is that they put up a fight against some one seed. Am I right? Absolutely. That's like me playing a pickup basketball game. Everybody roots for me because I'm the worst <laughs> on the court, so they're all on the sidelines cheering for me, hoping that I just make a layup or something. It's pretty great. I love being the under. Hey, every pickup game, I am that number eight seed. And you know what, Keith? I embrace that number eight seed. Good for you. I actually hate being the number eight seed. I got to be the number one seed. Everything I do, I got to be the best. <laughs> no, one not me. That's, that's not pretty me. much. That's pretty much. Uh, I'm a brat. Uh, if uh, if I'm not the best, I don't want to play. That's why I don't bowl. That's why I don't play pool. That's why I don't play tennis. Because I suck at all three of those things, so I don't play it. You know. So um, but uh, but I wanted to go to baseball. But before that, uh, I think I think it would be wrong of us to just act like things are not going on in the world, Joe. So I wanted to I wanted to just bring it up uh, 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 up for just discussion. There's no need to debate anything about this. But the riots happening in Baltimore right now, um. It, it, this seems, this seems unfortunately like something that's routine in this country now. You know, um, it was supposed to be a peaceful protest, and it turned into a riot in Baltimore over the over the the death of Freddie Gray, who was in custody of the police or the police officers. And this comes after Michael Brown in Ferguson, Eric Garner in New York, Walter Scott in in South Carolina. This is a bad. This is a really bad situation with this country where. Yeah, you have cops that cops taking lives of young black men, and people are just you know that they're, they're saying they're protesting, and it turns out to be just violent or hostile. If if it's not violent as it was in Baltimore, it turns out to be in a hostile situation. And for me, I, 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 I like reading more about everything. I said this thing with CNN and Fox want to show you. You, you got to do your own research when it comes to this stuff, and it's like. And I understand people want to say they were slain or murdered at the hands of these officers, and bottom line, they were. But at the same time, if you know, I mean, I mean, these guys kind of put themselves in these situations as well. If you look up the rap sheet on Freddie Gray, career drug dealer, you know, and 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 I bring that up because the last time there was a riot in Baltimore, though, was 1968, after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Freddie Gray is in no way, shape, or form Martin Luther King Jr. There is no reason for this kind of uproar. I understand about the whole Black Lives Matter, and they do, but this is not Martin Luther King Jr. that, that, that we're fighting over. This is a guy who was pretty much a cancer to society. May he rest in peace through his family, whatever. The guy has a rap sheet. He was a drug dealer, you know, for the most part. So it's, but 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 what I don't get, Joe, is people just destroying their hometown, their neighborhoods. Makes no sense to me, man. When I see it. 
Yeah, it's tough to see, you know, being from Baltimore and, and knowing all those streets, walking down all those streets a lot, a lot of times, you know, when I lived there. And it was tough to see. You, you, for me, it, it's almost like you look at the Ferguson stuff and, and all the protests and you say, oh, wow, that's pretty surreal, and you turn the channel. But, you know, last night you just couldn't turn the channel. It, it's somewhere you know, and I think it, it kind of more really quite literally hits home. And, and I, it is tough because you're seeing people who are destroying their own home for what? I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I am all for peaceful protests. I, lo- I think a peaceful protest is great. You know, it's, you have every right to go out there in front of City Hall, whatever you want to do. But, you know, to, yep. be, to be cutting cutting holes and fire hoses and to be burning down your brand-new CVS, what was the greatest thing. I mean, that was the best building that that city had, that the that pocket of the city had seen. It was a brand-new CVS. And you're just going to burn it down? <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's there's no... There's no rhyme or reason to what's going on. I think everybody realizes that. You know, I mean, this is a, it's a terrible situation where people are, are literally going into their hometown and, and destroying it. And for what? It almost seems like, you know, this, well, you know, we were all saying it last night, these weren't protesters. These were just criminals. I mean, that's what yeah. it comes down to. These weren't the protesters. I, I believe that. I don't think those were the protesters that were on the side of Freddie Gray. I think this is just a lot of people taking advantage of things they can do. And it's really sad to see. So, and obviously, you hope it turns around. But, you know, at some point it will. But it's going to be like Ferguson. I don't think, you know, it's tough because this is an ongoing situation across the country, like you said. And and eventually there will be resolve. But we've all underlying at the bottom line, there probably will never be a resolve. And it's sad, but it's just the truth. Yeah, I mean, and it's I mean, it's pathetic that us as people, and I'm not saying you and me. I'm just, I'm just generalizing, you know, sure. lots of people just can't, we just can't get over the racism thing. We just can't. And it's, I mean, I'm a Puerto Rican man. So like I always joke around with my white friends, my black friends saying, Hey, when the race war breaks out, I'm just jumping to the side. That winning, that's always my joke. With yeah. them. Everybody yeah. laughs about it. But, but the bottom line is it's like, you know, it's, it's scary because it's like, it, it, sure. you're, you're obviously, obviously steps of it made. From from the 1800s to to the, to the mid 1900s till now, there's obviously been steps made, but obviously the the, the notion of, of racism is just still there, still strong. It's a disgusting fact that that our country deals with America. I'm saying just deals with this is our ugly history that we we, we can't let go of and we keep on repeating. And honestly, Joe, I don't ever see it going away. You know, I, I, I don't see it ever going away. And me being the, the government conspiracy theorist that I am, Joe, because I, I have that side of me that I never really go on um, on my blogs or, or my articles or my podcasts about. But I, I've always said the American government wants to install martial law because we have gotten out of control. You know, there is too much, too much quote-unquote freedom for us. And yesterday and all the other riots are prime examples of it. And and as a people, we got to realize we keep acting out like this. It's going to make it a lot easier for the government to kind of put put into our heads that martial law is okay. And if people don't know what martial law is, that pretty much strips you of all your civil rights. You know, it's pretty much just it's the military on every corner. And if you speak up against them, you're getting court martialed. I mean, that, that, this is me. I could go on for hours about this show. That's just me. Sure. But when you when you see things like this, and they're putting things out there to get you upset. To, to get this rise out of you, you gotta you gotta use your best, your best judgment in these situations, man. It's just sad because it, it, it's people of all ages, Joe. It's, it's your age group, my age group, older, the in between, sure. everybody. Sure. Just there's so many people just using poor judgment in this situation, and they all lack common sense. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of underlying, you know, issues with all that. We all know that. But I think at the at the bottom line, mm-hmm. if, if you want to get just on the surface of this issue, I think it's important to realize the difference between a protest violence. I mean, you can say violence, but I, I would say protest and just, just a riot. I mean, there's, there's a difference. There's a giant difference between the two. You don't have to riot. Yeah. To get your point across, I know that feels that way sometimes, and and you and I know, and you know, there's just there's so many underlying issues to it. Like you said, you can go on for hours, but you know, def, definitely uh, hope for the best, though, in Baltimore, and I'm sure it'll all get ironed out. But it's a shame to see everything get affected, even down to the local business owners. You know, the curfew now, all the bars, yeah. the, the restaurants, it's just done, and and, and it's, it's bad for them. It affects everything, and obviously that's just one of many. But it it's just, it's definitely a bad situation that you hope gets ironed out. But like you said, the uh, the end does not seem to be in the near future. And there's no easy way to transition from that to this, but uh, I'll at least keep it in the city of Baltimore and talk about the Baltimore Orioles. And the Baltimore Orioles, obviously, you know, they, they postponed Tuesday's game. And and I, I just got a alert on my phone saying that it's going to be a closed-door White Sox-Orioles game Wednesday. A closed-door game, which means they're going to be playing in front of nobody, right? Yeah, yeah, that's essentially what's going to happen. There are debates whether the uh, the PA announcer is even going to actually do his job because why? You know, I mean, it, it, there's nobody in the seating bowl. It's going to be the record low attendance for any MLB game going on. So that'll be interesting. It, it's going to be televised, so it's going to be fun to see what the whole atmosphere is like. I imagine it'll be a little eerie. You know, it'll be a little like, you know, what's yeah. going on here? There's no, but there's nobody here. It's just quiet, and we're playing baseball. I'm sure it'll be a an interesting event to a. Uh, to watch unfold, and I, I'm curious to see how the players handle it because they're used to playing pumped up on adrenaline, even if it's only a small crowd. Pretty cool, so it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the like the scheduling of the game? Like, uh, what time is this game going to be? Is it going to be just a mid-afternoon game? Do you know? Yeah, they're yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're scheduled for 2:05 right now, so it's going to be a 2:05 closed-door game, which essentially means it's starting at 2:05. The only people that are going to be there, the players, the TV crew, the media. So, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. And then everything else uh, this weekend at Camden Yards was actually moved to Tropicana Field down in Tampa, Florida. So mm-hmm. the Orioles will be the home team in Tampa, Florida. So so, so they're not going to That's get their weird. home games back. They just essentially moved down to Tampa, Florida. They lose three home games at Camden Yards. They will be the home team, but they won't be playing at Oriole Park. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's the equivalent to the New Orleans Saints getting a home game in Giant Stadium against yep. the Giants. That's pretty, remember what that is? like that's pretty much the equivalent of that was like yeah, on paper you're the home team, but you're gonna have about like there, you know, like, everybody's rooting for the home, the real home team. Um, but staying in that division though, are you surprised that the New York Yankees are twelve and eight? It's still early, Joe, but the New York Yankees are on top of this division. It's not it's not Baltimore, Toronto, or Tampa Bay. It's the Yankees. Yeah, I think it's been pretty fun to watch. I mean, even as an Orioles fan, and I, I'm no self-proclaimed Alex Rodriguez fan, but it's pretty interesting to see what the guy's been doing. I mean, he's out there playing every night, playing at a high level. I mean, who would have thought Alex Rodriguez yeah. is going to go out there and play at a high level? I mean, you have all these guys, and it's, it's such an odd mix. I compare them to – I know it's cliche kind of. You compare them to the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. where It's a mix of old and young. They don't really know where they want to be, but they're holding on. And I feel like that's kind of what the New York Yankees are right now. They're they're holding on, and they're doing a pretty darn good job at it. I mean, that top of the AL East, AL East is a very good division this year with the Red Sox in Toronto. Baltimore is very good. And you have these Yankees that are, you know, if if their pitching can maintain, if Tanaka can maintain at the top, man, that can be a good team. It can be a contending team. So who knows? They get out to a good start. The pitching stays consistent. 
I wouldn't be shocked to see them make a run. If, if I mean, really, it, it's funny you say the cornerstone if this guy does well, but if Alex Rodriguez keeps it up, who knows where this team can go. Hey, and you know me, I, I, I never make any bones about it. A-Rod's one of my favorite, not just baseball players, just one of my favorite sports players of all time. But it, what, like, would it surprise you, and I really hope he's not, would it surprise you if A-Rod's just on something again and he's just like, I don't care? <laughs> well, why wouldn't he care at this point? I mean, I, I don't really think he can tarnish a legacy much more than he has. I mean, it's like it's like saying, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter at this point. It really doesn't for him. He's probably in his last year, maybe, I mean, what the heck? So go out with a uh, go out with a bang. They say, right? Yeah, I mean they, he's hitting great though. It's it, his confidence in the plate. It's it's kind of ridiculous because everybody's kind of thought he'd be front, kind of just injured right now, and he wouldn't be an everyday player. And he's kind of the Yankees' strongest bat right now. You know, he's a reason why they're twelve and eight. It's kind of surreal. But they, keeping it in New York, the other team in New York, the New York Mets, are the best team in baseball right now. Um, Matt Harvey is showing no signs of rust. Um, after his injury last year, the, the, the Mets, do you think the Mets are legit? They're 10-0 at home. It doesn't lost the game at home either. Oh, man, I love watching the Mets this year. It's just been so fun to watch. And you mentioned Harvey, but, I mean, you got all these guys just, just pitching. I mean, this has never happened with the Mets before, and hopefully it's not just an April thing. I would love to see it, you know, continue. But, I mean, you have these guys like Jason DeGrom, and, and even in the lineup you have Lucas Duda hitting home runs. I mean, it's incredible to see what they're doing. And it's not a great roster, G. It's really not. I mean, this is not like a, a, a you know, a, a playoff roster. But for some reason, they're stringing it together. It's because of good pitching and good defense. You can't deny that. That wins your games. That gets you into the playoffs. So if you continue to have guys like, you know, Harvey and DeGrom pitching and, oh, yeah, that guy named Bartolo Colon, who's 41 years old, <laughs> still pitching at a high level. How he's doing it, I don't know. But it just seems like it all it's, it's that Cinderella story that it's like, okay, you know, let's, let's open our eyes for the New York Mets and see if Bartolo Colon can win a World Series. Yeah, well, whenever A-Rod's been eating, I think Bartolo Colon is eating off the same plate because both of these guys, like, no, no, no one expected either one of these guys to play at the level they're playing at. The St. Louis Cardinals, they lose down on Wainwright in a weird injury. I mean, it's pretty much he hits the ball, runs out of the batter's box, and what is he, towards Achilles? Um, so, yeah. I mean, just a weird injury. Um, I, I, you, you would know better than me. How is this going to affect St. Louis moving forward um, when it comes to their pitching rotation? Well, I think it's going to be tough for St. Louis because I think you have a lot of guys on that roster who are, who are very good. I mean, you know, the Cardinals are a very good team. We've seen it, I mean, just recently. They haven't dropped off at all. You have new guys like Jason Hayward in the lineup who are going to be doing big things. But that's for the rotation. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you kind of lack your guy. You have Michael Waka, who's the, the big 6'6 righty that's going to be doing things. You, you have a decent bullpen, but right now uh, you're kind of putting him in the hands of John Lackey and uh, Lance. I, I just don't really see the Cardinals pitching that being that top-notch team. Look, they have a lineup that is formidable. They can score runs. Yadi Molina, obviously. You have guys like Matt Carpenter, but I'm concerned about that pitching staff right now because if one of your guys, let's say Michael Waka, doesn't have the best year, all of a sudden, you're left with a rotation that has nothing. So, definitely concerning uh, moving forward. I think you can kind of take them off of that contender list right now. But, heck, you know, they're, they're doing a great job. They're going to put it together. Uh, obviously, a great 12-6 and six record right now. If they can score a lot of runs, they'll be in it. So, that'll be the key. Two more questions on baseball. The first one is um, the National League West Division. San Fran's 8-12 and 12 right now. Arizona's 8-11. and 11. L.A.'s 12-7. and 7. This, this is the kind of division where, where – you could probably see about four different teams ending up in first place, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have the Rockies playing at a high level right now. They're eleven and one, and uh-huh. I think you got the Padres. The Padres are better than I thought they'd be. I really like the Padres this year. I think if they can put it all together, they can be a team that sneakily, like the 2013 Orioles, kind of sneaks into that contention in September. So I like the Padres a lot. Guys like Will Middlebrooks and uh, Matt Kemp doing big things, but I still like the Dodgers as top dogs. Once they get Jin Ryu back, uh, he, he's so big in that pitching rotation. So I think once they get Ryu back, they'll be firing all cylinders. I like the Dodgers, but I wouldn't sleep on the Padres. The Giants right now, a little bit of a slow start, but I think they pick things up. So I think it's kind of a – it's still that two-man race, I believe, between the uh, the Dodgers and the Giants. But don't count out the Padres uh-huh. for a wild-card spot. And, and going back to Adam Wainwright, only because I think I'll bring this up because it has been discussed. You know, um, it, it, are you all right with the National League having that having no DH and making the pitcher hit, or do you think it's time for for baseball to move forward and 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 stop letting the pitchers hit in baseball? I think you know if you want fanfare, but baseball we talked about this. Baseball is all about selling tickets, and you know having your pitch hitter having your pitcher hitting the eight or nine spot. That's not selling any more tickets than you need to. Not that it's going to make a huge difference in that, but I think it's just the yeah. trend of baseball is becoming. Let's try to score more runs. Let's tailor it towards the batters, which essentially, you know, it's coming. We just don't know when. So yeah, I'm all for uh, getting rid of the DH. Uh, not the getting rid of the DH, but implementing a DH in the NL. I, I'm a traditionalist guy. I like my old school baseball, but I think it's definitely time if you want this sport to advance. You know, keeping the pitcher batting is definitely not a way to do that. I never understood why pitchers are such terrible hitters. I I don't get it. Like you're, you're trying to say, like throughout your whole life you only pitched. Like you never wanted to hit. You never wanted to swing because these pitchers look like yeah. Yeah, it, these pitchers don't look like they landed from a different planet and and they put a baseball bat in their hands. Look like they don't know what to do with a baseball bat. It baffles me because these guys are baseball players. Like so, you would think growing up they you know they swung a bat. At least they would have the mechanics right. These pitchers, their mechanics are disgusting at the plate. And, and, and not, not just that, you would think you would think that being a pitcher, you would kind of have the psyche of the guy throwing throwing the ball at you. You know, you have, you'd have a pretty good read on him. Nothing. Like I don't get why pitchers are batting. Like when they batting at like like 40 or 48 or 38 or something like that. 138, I think at the plate. It's terrible. I I, I don't get it though. Like it, it, it get, you, you know what it is? Like you got a guy like Adam Wainwright. I guarantee you, when he was in high school, he was the best athlete in his high school. You know, he truly sure. did everything, you know. But, and then he gets to the majors and he can't play a, a bat. I don't get that part of baseball at all. Yeah, I would really like to see the MLB implement one day of the year where one through nine is just your entire pitching. So your, your pitching staff, the bullpen, you got to hit with all your pitchers. I think they, if you want to sell tickets, I mean, I'm going out to that game. I want to see these bullpen guys. I want to see your closer hit fourth and just, I mean, I would love it. I think a reverse day in MLB, you know, gee, when I'm the commissioner, maybe that'll be my first order of business, a reverse day in the MLB. Where the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the all the hitters are pitching. you got Big Poppy out there on the mound throwing, uh, throwing 78 miles an hour. I would love it. So to just let you know, that, that's coming when I'm up top. There's going to be a lot of ground balls for the pitcher. A lot of ground balls for the pitcher in that game. You know what I will say about Matt Harvey? And, like, I didn't know. i actually been watching more Mets games. Um, this year because uh, let me say the Mets are a team. You know how I'm like anti New York everything. The, the Mets never bothered me because when I was younger I was a Mets fan. So I guess deep down like I kind of like they're like the little engine that could to me. You know like remember when the Mets had it going for a little while and it was David Wright younger, they had Jose Reyes. Oh yeah. You know like they were an exciting team. Like they were really exciting to watch. Like the Was that post yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, they, 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 they had an exciting team at that point. And then they fell off just like they do. So I'm watching one of the from that Harvey fielding wise is amazing at the pitch. Like he got, he, he, I forget about his Cy Young. He's trying to get a gold glove because fielding wise, Matt Harvey's amazing. Yeah, Harvey's really good. That guy's an all-around athlete. I mean, you, you can see, but that's for me. I think that's the new mold of pitcher you're going to see. You're going to be seeing these guys that were just unbelievable athletes in high school who are getting drafted first overall, and and you're going to come in. I mean, you can almost liken that to a Steven Strasburg. I'm not, you know, I haven't watched Strasburg in depth, but a lot of these young guys are the same. They throw hard. They they're just athletes. I feel like they could crush the ball 400 if they had good mechanics. So I like it though. It, it's it is good for the sport. Gone are the days of a. Uh, these, these pitchers, you know, with the old mechanics and everything, you're just going to – you're kind of seeing pitchers do what you would expect, you know, modern-era pitchers to do. And I think that's cool. It's definitely good for the game. But, yeah, you're right. Harvey is a uh, – he's a force to be reckoned with out there. That, that guy is arguably I, – I would I would call him the best pitcher in baseball right now. Yeah, I think I got a second second that with you. I think I do. Um, wow, we got five minutes before our break. And I don't really want to talk about the draft. Anything on your mind before we go five minutes into our break? <laughs> well, uh, to stay on baseball real quick, I think it's interesting because yeah. we're closing down on April here, and the Houston Astros are 12-8. and eight. The Chicago Cubs, I believe, are leading the division. You have the Mets doing really darn good right now. It, it's almost like these teams that were, you know, last year at once, you know, it's the Astros, right? Nobody expects the Astros to win. All of a sudden, you bring in some guys, they're eighth, Dallas Keuchel's throwing well. You know, it's pretty impressive what the Astros are doing. So that's my MLB note. I do want to ask you something real quick about the Chicago Bears, because I'm sure we'll go into it. But I want to ask you about Mm -hmm. the Bears, because if Marcus Mariota is sitting there at seven, do they take him? I hope not. (laughs) I hope not either. It wouldn't make sense. I'm just wondering, as a Bears fan, do you think a Mariota at seven doesn't make sense? And not for nothing, considering that John Fox is your coach, like that would make no sense either, you know, because John Fox is pretty much traditional. You know, like he's not going to try to run anything new, you know, at all. You know, um, and who's the offensive coordinator? That really overrated guy, Gase, Adam Gase. He's overrated yeah. as a whole hell too. So, <laughs> I mean, really, like I, I hate when offensive coordinators get credit for coaching Peyton Manning. As if we all don't know, Peyton yeah. Manning just calls whatever he wants and calls audibles on every play. Like, it's amazing how, how, how people, like, give those offers to Oh, man, he's the next big coach to be. Why? Because he shakes Peyton's hand before games. All right, do your thing, man. You know the playbook. Like, that's all he's doing at games. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Cutler because Cutler truly, truly doesn't care sometimes. So it's going to be amazing to see exactly what goes on with that. But, um, yeah, Mariota's there at seven. I mean, I personally, he, he's one of the two guys I told you I don't want in that first round. You know, yeah. uh, I, I I kind of have a feeling the Bears. I have a feeling the Bears are gonna end up trading down for more picks. I have a feeling. I, I do too. If, 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 if all those guys, I'm talking about like the the, the, the two receivers, the the, the the and the two defensive guys, really. You know, I, I I think if those guys are gone, the Bears may go. I don't know. Like, are we really gonna reach for somebody? Like, I think the Bears may it's just trade trade back and see, see what's gonna happen. You know, yeah. Because at that point, like the next five guys are in position. I mean, you could fit your argument for Devontae Parker, you know, but, I mean, is that really a need right now for the Bears? I mean, the Bears need needs all over the place. You know, so, and with that, and if you're not going to get one of those stud guys, if you're not going to get well, Winston you. or, the, you know, then, then you trade out. I really think, you know, you're looking at a spot at seven. you got the Atlanta Falcons behind you at eight. We know they're taking an edge rusher. The team that has the biggest need at edge rusher arguably is 
could be the New Orleans Saints at 13. They have two first-round picks. I'm not saying they're going to use them. What I am saying is that if you, if you want an edge rusher, if you want, you know, Vic Beasley who's still on the board, all of a sudden you're left with a situation where, okay, you have some ammo. You know the Falcons are going to take him if he's there. Why not move ahead? Gives the Bears a nice opportunity to draft back, get some big draft picks. You know, that five slots in the first round is pretty decent. So get some draft picks, move back. That's just one of many situations. The Bears can definitely benefit from a trade back. I think where they're sitting right now, that makes the most sense. The Bears end up drafting like Blood Dupree or something. And just be like, yeah, that would be bad. That would be bad. I feel sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's why I can see the Bears doing draft like a Blood Dupree. And I'm like, terrific, you know. I mean, if that's I like the case, Bud Dupree. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if that's the case, I roll the dice, pick Todd Gurley. Like, I, I wouldn't even sure. care. You know, I wouldn't even care. You know, if, if that if, if you're gonna say Bud Dupree, you have the seventh overall pick, then why not just take Gurley? But at that point, the Bears suck, dude. Like I was looking at their roster. <laughs> it's bad. It is bad. You know, the the Bears roster. Let me tell you, another team next year. I, I think it's gonna be really bad. The Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are gonna be really bad. You know, and I, I think the Bears and Chiefs are gonna be really, really bad next year. And that's my early take. You know, because anything that can happen between the draft or whatever it happens. But I was looking at the Chiefs, and I was like, what? What are they doing? You know, the, the Chargers are on a team. The Chargers are on the trading rivers going into rebuild, rebuild mode. Well, what do the Chargers have? You know, like those, the, 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 those three teams are on the verge of being completely and utterly bad. The Bears are already there, you know, for the most part. If we take what their performance was last year, the Bears are there. But anyway, we'll take a short break right now. Me and Joe will continue this draft talk. Um, yeah, that's it, Joe. I guess we'll, I don't know, we'll play some music and then we'll just talk to these people, all right? That was good, man. All right, bro. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. by the NGSD Radio Network. I'm your host, G.W. Gross. That's the man right there with me, though, Joe Weidra. And for anybody who just thinks they're going to rat to Twan Staley, I really don't hate Twan Staley, as I said in the first half hour. <laughs> Twan Staley's a nice guy, a friend of mine, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say we joke around, but I think I joke around and Twan just goes whatever, you know, because that's how, that's how Twan is. But um, me and Joe were alluding up to the NFL draft talk. Um, 
really quick though, before we talk about your sleepers and stuff that the art team should be looking into doing, um, Shane Ray gets arrested at what five thirty in the morning for possession of marijuana. I mean, this is following the steps of Randy Gregory. Both of these guys were projected to be like I would say probably top fifteen picks uh, um, from the defensive side of the ball, and they're both putting their money up in jeopardy. Um, I was listening to Mike and Mike this morning, and they said like. Shane Ray in some drafts, were, he was projected to go fifth overall, which is insanity to me. And, you know, that, that's almost like a 13 to $15 million salary right there. And he pretty much kind of almost threw that away. He, he pretty much may have thrown that away with this arrest. But, but what is it with these guys? That, that, what, what scares you off more? The stupidity of knowing your situation and doing what you're doing or the quote-unquote addiction to the drug? For me, it's the stupidity more than the drug. No, absolutely. I think NFL teams really, I mean, they care, but they, you know, do what you want on your own time kind of thing. It's not like it's a, it's a serious, it's a serious offense, but you know where I'm going with this. So yeah, yeah. really at the end of the day, it's the stupidity. Three days, three days before the draft. First of all, one, my question to you is why are you out at 520 in the morning? I mean, maybe you're going to work or something, but chances are you're probably not working the morning shift somewhere. And secondly, what are you doing? I mean, seriously, I mean, Shane Ray's a guy that, first of all, for me, I had him as a second-round pick, never had him as a first-round pick. I thought he would go in the first round talent-wise. I didn't think he was a first-round pick. Now I think he's going to go probably where he should go a little later. Maybe some team sneaks up to the third round, maybe late second, says, okay, we'll take a shot on Shane Ray. But I don't see it happening. I think the guy slips. I think he's kind of in a free fall at this point. You can't really predict where he's going to go. We've seen situations like this where guys go undrafted, and I'm, I doubt Shane Ray is going to go undrafted. But for a guy, if there's as many internal issues as some reports say there is, it could get ugly for Shane Ray. And he still plans on attending the draft. He could be sitting in that green room for a long, long time because I can tell you he's probably not going in the first round. He shouldn't have gone in the first round anyway, in my opinion. Now I don't think he goes there at all. Maybe day two, but I think he's more of a day three pick. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I was never in love with Shane Ray. I mean, in my mock draft, I had him going in the first round. I think someone – I mean, this is before the drug charge, obviously. Because uh, I, I would think a team like Atlanta, you know, where somebody would just reach for him or, or God forbid, my Chicago Bears would reach for him, you know, yeah. and, and, and take Shane Ray. You know, but that, that's why I still saw him going there. But, yeah, for me, it's just – Randy Gregory is a little bit more of a scarier thing, though. Because Randy Gregory has pretty much admitted that he's addicted to marijuana. You know, I mean, this could be like Ricky Williams kind of territory. He's pretty much openly admitted it. I mean, and, I mean, you've got to be thankful he's honest about it, but he's openly admitted he's addicted to marijuana, which means, which means chances are he's going to get caught again. And we've seen this with, um, with Josh Gordon. And the NFL really doesn't play around when it comes to marijuana use. So uh, if you're a team and Randy Gregory there, like, is it really worth it? Like Randy Gregory to me is a first round talent where, where Shane Ray isn't. But at the same time, I, I think if you have to weigh your options on the lesser gamble, I think the lesser gamble is Shane Ray because you have one guy just openly admitting he's addicted. Yeah. I think we're starting to see this too, where, you know, we can only do so much on the outside. Even guys that, you know, mm-hmm. Peter King, Bleacher Report, all these guys, they can only do so much. They can project the on-field stuff and the very little inside information they're getting. And I can guarantee you some, there's a reason why mock drafts are never even close to accurate. We just do mock drafts for the heck of it. There's no, there's no predicting a mock draft. Even guys like the best, Florio, Peter King, uh, you can go on and on. Because NFL teams, you think that you know, their, their playbooks are, are top secret. 
the draft stuff is ten times more what you see in, in playbooks. So it's it's definitely something serious where teams are not letting information get out. And we can only do one job. We can judge on-field talent. That is only a fraction of what goes into these guys drafting these players. A lot of it's about character. A lot of it's about scheme fit. A lot of it's about, you know, how do you fit in our locker room? And if the team doesn't feel like a Shane Ray or a Randy Gregory will not fit into their locker room, they're taking them off the draft board completely. So it's kind of it's it's a situation where, you can see both of these guys fall all the way down to the lower rounds where, for me, Randy Gregory on tape, he's a top-ten pick, but he may not get taken uh-huh. in the first round simply because that's only a fraction of what teams really evaluate. Good point. Um, I, I want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings are a team that, although they're in the Bears division, I actually have a lot of respect for the moves that they've done to get to, to, to make the steps towards where they're at right now. I think they've got a good head coach, um, and, and if you look, if you look statistically, Bridgewater was getting better and better as the year as the year progressed, and he was doing that with really little to no talent on the offensive end around him. You know, uh, they have a good offensive coordinator and North Turner. Like their defense is good. I like what they're doing. I, I, and, and in my mock draft, I actually had Minnesota trading up to get to, 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 to get one of the two wide receivers, and then trading back into the second round to get a running back. Do, do you think the Minnesota Vikings is going to look? to surround Bridgewater with talent, considering that Cordero Patterson is pretty much just an all-out bust who can't read a playbook? Yeah, I, in my opinion, first of all, I think the Vikings are on the up-and-up. I think that's a team that is really surging, and in, if not this year, next year, going to make a run at the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love Teddy Bridgewater. I love the Vikings. Everything they're doing there really smells success, and I think that that's big. So the, there's the Vikings there. As far as the draft pick at number 11, Personally, I think they go with skill position player. It makes the most sense. They could either go there or they could go in the defensive backfield. But for me, uh, skill position player makes sense. Now, whether it's a it's a running back, whether it's I – mean, I like the running back Cornell. I like Jared McKinnon, the running back they have on the roster. But they uh-huh. may make a move that surprises everybody if Todd Gurley's there. If Devontae Parker's there, let's not forget, that's Teddy Bridgewater's college teammate. I guarantee yep. you he's banging the table for Devontae Parker if he's still there. So – who knows what happens? I think they go skill position player. It would be interesting if they didn't, but for me, I think it's either running back or receiver. And for me, to get the guy that makes the most sense right now, Todd Gurley at running back, at receiver, it's going to be Devontae Parker if he's still on the board. Absolutely. Um, which one of those early teams do you think, like, I, when I say hold the key to the draft, which one do you think? I think either the Raiders or the Jacksonville Jaguars could throw a lot of people's drafts boards off because because the, the, the Jaguars are a team that I don't know I, I just find them to be a poorly run organization and the Washington Redskins too and the poorly run organizations are the ones that, that kind of throw people for a loop you know so I'm kind of nervous to see what Washington and Jacksonville uh, uh, have up their sleeve do you, you have any idea what, where they should go well I think if you're talking about you know Tennessee at two we all know anything can happen there I think that that is probably going to be where Marcus Mariota goes, whether it's Tennessee or whether it's another team. The, the further this thing runs its course, the further I think it's going to be Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Now, who knows who takes uh-huh. Marcus Mariota with the second pick, but I think that's the pick. You know, and, and then you do get into that three with Jacksonville where they could go a number of ways. You know, Peter King's mock draft today had Mari Cooper there, the receiver from Alabama. They could they could go receiver if they're comfortable with one of these guys, but I think more likely they're going to go defensive line. For me, it's either you know Leonard Williams, the defensive tackle, defensive end out of uh, USC. It could be Dante Fowler, the uh, the outside linebacker. They could go either way. I think it's between those two guys if they do pick, 
I think that's where they go. I personally believe Oakland goes receiver, but what I personally believe has absolutely no indication of what's going to happen because last year I personally believed that Teddy Bridgewater was going first. Even up to 10 minutes before the draft, I said Bridgewater's going first, Bridgewater's going Bridgewater went 30 seconds. So none of us know. It makes the most sense if Oakland goes receiver, which means then Washington, kind of the draft does fall into their hands a little bit. What do you do if Mariola's still on the board? What do you do if you have Leonard Williams still on the board? There's a lot of different keys. So I think Washington at five is the team to watch because right behind them you have the Jets at six. And I'm just going to leave that there. Right behind them you have the Jets at six. And who knows what can happen. <laughs> and it, that, that's the thing. Because the Jets, when you look at their roster, I mean, it's a good roster. Like, I'm just saying, for all things considered, because it's the Jets, it's not a bad roster. The Jets, I could see, are a team that, could, that, that would trade back for that for either a, a late first rounder or have two second rounders. I could see the Jets doing that. Same thing with the Bears, honestly, because the Bears have so many holes. It's amazing. You could be a team that's balanced, and it makes sense to trade back. You could be a team that has so many holes, and it makes sense to trade back. That, that's how crazy the draft is. You know, it's like it could go either way. You know, but um, I, I I want to talk about one of the one of the offensive linemen uh, uh prospects um Ali Marpet out of Division Three. Uh, only reason why I bring him up is actually my girlfriend is friends with his older brother and the family. So like when she was telling me about him, she goes, "Oh yeah, my my friend's brother's trying to get in the NFL." You know, she told me this like like months ago. I was like, "Yeah, good luck with that." You know, and now <laughs> I'm reading yeah. about this Ali Marpet kid. He was on ESPN, I think Monday. Uh, I think it was on ESPN. Yes, yeah, I think it was on ESPN yesterday. Um, being interviewed, and this, I mean, how much film have you seen of Ali Market? And and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think he is going to be the first Division Three offensive lineman drafted through an NFL. Yeah, Ali Marfitt from Hobart's a very good offensive lineman prospect. He first came up my radar personally at the Senior Bowl. Never really heard of him before then, but I, I heard he got the invite. Tried to do some digging. Didn't find much, but I did find enough to where I'm pretty comfortable saying he'll be a good mid-round pick. I love what he did at the Senior Bowl. I mean, you watch all the film and you watch the game back, and, and he played great at the Senior Bowl. And, and I will admit, I only saw limited tape on him, but everything seems to check mm-hmm. out. His off-field stuff seems to check out. His size certainly big at the bowl game, the biggest game of his life he played great in. I think you have to be impressed with what he's done. And on my limited sample size, like I said, I'm not an NFL team that has done my digging, but right now it seems like the guy's clean off the field, Seems like he's got great size, great upside, definitely a mid-round pick. From our perspective, from everything that we all can see from the outside, Ali Marpet's a pretty darn good prospect that's going to go in the mid-round. Uh, even though this guy's going to go first round, it's just that, you know, I think offensive linemen just never get the credit they deserve. The offensive lineman that I really like the most, and I, I, I want to know what you think about him, is DJ Humphreys out of Florida. I, I think he's the kind of guy that could be your offensive lineman and be in there for eight, nine years, and you and you and you have a legit guy there. What, what have you seen on DJ Humphreys, and am I way off? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on DJ Humphreys because in the beginning, I really just couldn't figure out who he was. You know, what, what kind of guy is mm-hmm. he? For me, D.J. Humphreys is not a first-round pick. Uh, I just don't think that he he needs to engage better. And he's very coachable. He's a big, strong guy, very athletic, but he needs to be coached. And I think because of that, he's a little bit of a risk. He's not as fine-tuned as some other guys like Leo Collins. Out of well, Leo Collins still has some work, but I mean Brandon Sheriff, the top my top offensive line. He's just not as polished as some of these guys. So I do think that with NFL coaching, D.J. Humphreys can be a tremendous player, but he's got to get that. So for me, it depends on which team he does go to. 
I think he has all the upside in the world. For me, he's a day two pick. I, I think that he'll probably he probably won't go in the first round just because I think you have so many other guys. I, I would feel more comfortable with Andres Pete, the tackle out of Stanford, but that's just me. So I mm-hmm. think that Humphreys is very athletic, a ton of upside, but he needs some NFL coaching. It's you know. He's got to engage better. That's the bottom line. He's got to engage the defenders, latch on. But I really do like him. He's got great upside, very athletic, probably a day two pick. For your Baltimore Ravens, when I did my mock draft, which, by the way, is just it's, it's not really serious. It's just kind of things I kind of wish will happen. But <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens, I was looking at their roster. I didn't know where they would go. Um, I had them taking Collins out of LSU, the offensive lineman. Um, sure. what, what, do you have, what, what do you have Baltimore doing or expect them to do? Yeah, they can go a lot of different ways. For me, I think they are, if there's one team in the first round that can draft back out of the first round, it's them. And I think that if the board shakes out the way I think it will, then I think they're going to trade back into the second round for a team like Jacksonville or, um, you know, one of those top teams to jump back in for a running back like Melvin Gordon. I think that's the most likely situation. But if the board falls the way it did like it did last year for the Ravens, getting C.J. Mosley, which obviously now looks fantastic, you know, they have a situation where you could go anywhere. You could go off defensive line. If, if Bud Dupree is there at 26, I'm pretty sure they'll take him. If you have a guy like maybe even Landon Collins from Alabama, you know how much Ozzy Newsom loves his Alabama guys. So if the safety from uh, Alabama is there, maybe they take him. If, you know, the offensive line, definitely possible. If a guy like Leo Collins does flip to 26, they're going to take a hard look at him because the Ravens are all about best best player available. They've proven that through the years. They don't reach for need, and I think that's pretty good for them. So, interesting to see, but I think they are the team that if, if a team's going to trade out of the first round, it's probably the race. And the Dallas Cowboys are always like team we got to talk about. Everybody's saying Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon. I, I, I keep telling people, if you have the best offensive line in football, I, I mean, just, just mix and match running backs. Like, it makes no sense to take a first-round pick on that. I think their offense is going to be fine, you know, um, I think their defense is still suspect. Over here, I, I think Dallas has to go and probably take one of those guys that you're not so sure about, like we were talking about, like a Bud Dupree or, or, or one of the corners, something. You know, I think Dallas has to focus on defense in the first round. Yeah, Dallas should, and I think they will. I think there's a lot of different places they can go. They can go in the defensive backfield. You have guys like Kevin Johnson from Wake Forest. You have a Jalen Collins from LSU who could sneak into the first round. That's kind of the area where you start seeing borderline guys get drafted in the first round. We saw it with Travis Frederick a couple years ago with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, we we all mocked that pick at the time, but look, that offensive line is the best in the league. So don't count out them doing anything crazy like reaching for a guy that may seem like a reach, but the Cowboys know what they're doing. They really do. That's a team that's building well. They're a couple pieces away from a Super Bowl. I think they could get there next year. I think they're going to make a run. You know, the Tony Romo era, as, as out as it seems, it's closing. That Tony Romo window mm-hmm. is starting to close. So they're going to try to make a run, and if it's you know a defender that can make the play, I think it will. I think they go defense. That's the most pressing need right now. And like you said, if Bud Dupree's there, that would be a great value. What percentage chance do you give the Jets in taking a quarterback in the second round? Ooh, second round is tough because you, for me, you have Brett Hundley, and that's it. I've stated that Brett Hundley is the only other draftable guy on my board just because this quarterback class yep. is that bad. So for that, I don't think it's very big, but if, if for some reason that first round plays out where the Jets go offensive line, I think the chances are even more likely. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just i not sold on Brett Hundley as a second rounder. I'm not sold on anybody else as a 
anything really after the, before the sixth, fifth, sixth round. So I would give it a slight chance. If, if it's a guy, it's going to be Brett Hundley. That's you know, in my opinion, that's that has to be the guy. Bryce Petty's not a second round pick. Garrett Grayson's not a second round pick. If it's going to be somebody, it's Brett Hundley. And if that's the pick, oh boy, hold on and uh, enjoy the ride, Jets fans, because it's not going to end pretty. You know what's funny? Um, because you and me, obviously, we bash Bryce Petty all the time. But 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 someone that we both, I mean, at least I know I respect. I never brought him up to you, but Kirk Kershaw is someone I really respect. I think he's one of the smarter guys in ESPN. And he was saying today that he likes Bryce Petty's prospects in the NFL. Like, he really does. And that shocked me. Because usually anything that goes from the college football standpoint. And I was like, wow. Like, he really disappointed me with that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of guys that like Bryce Petty. I mean, they're... He's got a lot of fanfare, and, and rightfully so. He's got a he, he's he's good. I mean, he's a good quarterback. He looks like a quarterback, but for me, he's a good college quarterback. There's such a difference. For me, I saw it last year. I said it all along. Johnny Manziel, he's a great college quarterback. I mean, you you might not uh-huh. get much better than Johnny Manziel as a great college quarterback, but you know, at some point, you have to make that progression, and that's why you see guys like Teddy Bridgewater do so much better because they're not the world's greatest college quarterback. But they have those traits where they project well to the NFL. It's all about traits. That's all the draft process is about. And Johnny Manziel had certain ones, but he didn't have that, you know, jump to the next level traits. I, look, Johnny Manziel still has time to develop, but right now it's sure not looking like those, everything combined, off-field and on-field, are matching up. And I think the same way about Bryce Petty. I feel much more comfortable drafting a, a Garrett Grayson than Bryce Petty just because I think he has those little traits like we saw in Bridgewater that can definitely leapfrog them more than a guy like Petty. All right, we got about 10 minutes left. How about if you and me just, uh, just start naming out our sleepers? I'm pretty sure your sleepers are going to hold a lot more weight than mine, so you go first. <laughs> All right, I'll start with the uh, – a guy I love, running back Josh Robinson out of Mississippi State. Uh, guy that's really good, underrated throughout the process. He's a bowling ball. He's got great, great strong legs. Josh Robinson from Mississippi State. He's the running back that I think everybody needs to know about. He's going to go higher than people think. That's Josh Robinson. You know, like the guy I'm going to name isn't really like a sleeper, but whatever. It'll give me some kind of credit. I just think this guy, every time I see him, the Kansas State five receiver title locket, um, so I've been sure. going in the third round, and I, I think third round would be a steal to get a guy like Tyler Lockett. He, he's only about as big as me, 5'10", 180, but he's a great route runner. For, he's a great competitor, too. From what I saw him playing at Kansas State, that's a lot of Kansas State games, this team put up points. You know, I like what I saw out of Tyler Lockett. Um, how do you feel about Tyler Lockett? Yeah, I think some team in the mid-rounds will find value there because he is a return man. He can return kicks. He yep. has speed. He can contribute on special teams right away. So that's, that's automatically leaving him in front of other receiver prospects. I didn't get to see too much of Tyler Lockett, which I was a little disappointed in. I, and, you know, I, maybe I'll go in tonight and uh, break down some film. But I, 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 from the limited that I did see, I felt that he was a tremendous value pick, guy with a lot of speed, maybe shaky hands at times. But I totally agree. From what I saw, mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett's a mid-round pick. All right, so who's your next guy? I have a lot of guys here at the running back position again, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list another running back. I really enjoy mm-hmm. what um, the kid Carlos Williams from Florida State does. You know, he's kind of fallen mm. down draft boards, and I know rightfully so. He's, he's had some issues. But I think Williams got better, much better this year. I love the progression that he made from 2013 to 2014. He's a guy that he has that combination, that size, power, speed, all that 
but he does have limitations. He doesn't have elite quickness, quickness to the edge. A lot of prospects in this class do. You have a guy like Kevin Coleman who really just has that quickness to the edge. He can get there. Williams isn't that kind of back, but he has great pass blocking, which I love, and he knows the situation at all times. So he's a guy that I wouldn't rule out going in the later rounds and some teams find a great value just because he does do the little things right. He can pass block. He can come out of the backfield. and He can be a pretty good runner if given the chance. Yeah, I got to go. Yeah, you know, I got to shout out um, my favorite college, and that's Penn State. And I'm going to go with Penn State inside linebacker Mike Hull. I, he doesn't have stuff that blows you away. But you know what he reminds me of? And and, and I'm just saying, as a six-round pick or even a seventh-round pick, he could be a steal in, 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 that, in that way because he's a very serviceable linebacker. And what I mean by that is he has, like, A.J. Hawk kind of tendencies in him. He's not going to be fast than anybody. He's not going to beat a lot of guys out. But he's the kind of guy who has an engine that doesn't quit. Hey, he's smart. You know, his instincts are there. I, I think he's the kind of guy that in the right system, in the right rotation as a depth player, if you get him in the sixth, seventh round, and, and you have a defense that switches out linebackers, I, I think he's a very good inside linebacker for that kind of system. Mike Hall has everything you want in the middle linebacker. I mean, he's very strong, very strong guy, and he's pretty instinctive, too. He has that combination. You like to see yeah. strength, and you like to see instincts, and he's got both of them. He takes the wrong route at times, but I think he can be coached. I, I like Mike Hall. I have him right behind Denzel Perryman, the inside linebacker from Miami. Right now I have him as a fourth-round pick, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him go higher. I think that he, he's very wow, good really? in, in, in pass protection. I really like Mike Hall, and I know I'm not alone. You know, me and you – you watch Penn State, there are a lot of people that like Mike Hall. I just think he has, like I said, everything you want in a middle linebacker. So I definitely like uh, Mike Hall. And, uh, you know, jumping to my next guy, I guess, would be uh, the outside linebacker, Martrell Spate. Out of, uh, he is out of Arkansas. He's a 4-3 linebacker. I really like Martrell Spate. I actually watched a lot of tape on him because I was watching uh, Trey Flowers, the defensive end out of, uh, you know, Arkansas. And Martrell Spate just kept popping out. The guy had a great motor. Very, he's a game. He has that gamer mentality that you like. You know, in the NFL, you you see these prospects, and I think this is a lot of what happened to Jadavion Clowney. Is that we kind of knew, we kind of knew that he might not have that extra, the motor, the conditioning that you like to see. But for me, Martrell Spade has that. So I think he's got above average agility. He's got instincts. I put him kind of in that fourth, fifth round grade as well. He's a guy, Martrell Spade out of uh, Arkansas. I don't have him as a sleeper. He's just someone I'm going to be watching because I want to see if he gets drafted at all. And I know during the season you actually like to be sophomore, but nobody's talking about Alabama quarterback Blake Sims. Do you think he gets drafted in the seventh round? I hope he does because I think Blake Sims has that touch of upside that you have an opportunity to take in the seventh round. He shows flashes, and I'm not in any way comparing him to Russell Wilson, but he shows the little Mm -hmm. flashes of Russell Wilson that you like to see. So, yeah, I think Blake Sims – Absolutely. He's definitely worth the pick. Like I said, he's, for me, he's not draftable, but you're going to have guys that are going to be drafted. I think if there's somebody, it's definitely going to be Sims. Uh, let's jump to corners here because I, I always like my cornerback position. Uh, Eric Rowe out of Utah. He's a guy that rose up draft boards after the season because everyone started to find out about him. Eric Rowe is a guy who's a great tackler and he's natural at safety. For me, I think that he can jump to safety or corner and play effectively in the NFL somebody that could go in the first round, kind of that late position, like we talked about the Green Bay Packers, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Eric Rose, a guy to watch. He's very aggressive, and he has he can develop really nicely. He has great upside. I just love that he can play corner and safety because you can start him at corner. If he doesn't work out, switch him to the safety spot. I think he may be best suited there, but 
with the pressing needs of so many teams to have a corner, uh, he's definitely got to watch. That's uh, Eric Rowe. This next guy isn't really a sleeper, but the only reason why because he's probably going to go and deserve really so. But it's the fact that I actually think he's the best guy coming out of Oregon, and that is the guy Grasso, the Grasso, the center. Um, I can't pronounce his first name, so I won't try. It was a Ronis, Ronis Grasso, whatever. <laughs> like he's the center out of Oregon, and the reason why I like him, he's an athletic center. Obviously, everybody from Oregon, you got to be fast, you got to be this, you got to be that. He's not going to blow anybody up strength wise. But great technique. I love his speed. And, and the way the NFL is, you know, the NFL, I'm not saying the NFL is spread, but you have a lot of offenses that are fast-paced. He's a well-conditioned center. I really like him as being a center that, that can start for a team probably right off the bat. Yeah, I don't have my pronunciation guy with me, so I'm not going to try to pronounce his name either. But like you said, very athletic guy. And from Oregon, that's, again, sounds so cliche, but it's not. He's very athletic, yeah. solid, smooth center. He doesn't have that crazy size or power, which might hurt him a little bit. But in a really bad center class, I think he's going to be arguably yeah. one of the top guys taken. So I like for for in front of him, I have the kid from Auburn whose name is eluding me right now, and the Max Garcia out of Florida. But Cressu is definitely a prospect. Reach, you know, like, yeah. Just smokes or whatever yeah. his name is. The kid from Auburn. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't Reach, pronounce his name right. either. <laughs> yeah, he's a very good prospect as well. He's got good size. So I think that Dismukes is a uh, second-round pick. I definitely love Max Garcia. I guess I'll go there next. Max Garcia out of Florida. Nobody talks about him. I saw all the tape. I love Max Garcia. I think you can play him at the center spot in the NFL. would be very effective. He's huge. He's very strong. And he has those initial quicks, which you like for an offensive lineman. And the greatest part about him is he's a really smart guy. He's, he's a very great off the field, but he's a smart guy. He can lead the way on an offensive line. So Max Garcia from Florida is somebody who you're going to be seeing taken a little higher. Maybe not have heard of him, but he can be a starter in this league. Well, what about Cameron Artis Payne, the running back out of Auburn? I kind of like what he got. Um, five, what is he, 5'10", 210 or something like that. Um, he didn't blow anybody way up before he went a 4'5". But, I, I, I mean, maybe because I just saw a lot of Auburn games and his name just sounds pretty. I like Cameron Artis Payne. <laughs> yeah, Artis Payne shows some really good things on film. He's a stocky guy, but he hits the hole pretty well for his size. He's great in the open field, and he's, he's pretty athletic. I like Cameron Artis Payne. I think in the third or fifth round, in between that, kind of day two, maybe really early day three pick, he's good. He's got, like I said, he's great on the edge. and he, he What impresses me is he is so stocky and he is so big, but he's so athletic. You love that combination of mm-hmm. a stocky guy that can get in there through the holes and, and kind of burst out. Not like Ray Rice, but somewhat like that. So I definitely like Artis Payne, kind of a mid-round guy. Um, I think that's all oh, I've got. I don't, I don't yeah, think I just probably got a whole list going. <laughs> no, I'll throw in one more name because uh, why not? Ben Koyak, the tight end at a Notre Dame. I think he's the best blocking tight end you're going to see in this class. In the NFL today, you got to love blocking tight ends. So I think one more guy to watch is Ben Koyak at the tight end of the Notre Dame. Oh, there we go, man. Should be interesting. Turns out, what, what, what do you do? You do a draft party? Do you go somewhere and watch the draft? Or do you just stay in your lab and you and you and you write down notes and tweet the whole night? No, it's funny. Last year we did that, but uh, I actually have SATs on the third day of the draft this year, so I'm kind of tag teaming with the SAT Ooh. practice book, study book, and the draft. So it's going to be a little different this year. Kind of disappointing, but. I, I'm trying to keep my priorities here, and which obviously would be the draft first. So the draft's my priority, and then the SAT. But, no, it's disappointing. So I'll be lounging at home this year. It'll be fun, though. I'll be very active on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be at a friend's house. He's a Dallas Cowboys fan. So 
we'll, we'll see how we'll see how that works out. But uh, anyway, Joe, um, it, it all comes down to this. So I know you, I, I, I know your all your hard work will pay you off. Any of you watching the draft this weekend, uh, tell everybody where they can find you and every draft up to date thing you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Best time of the year. It's the Super Bowl, the off season. A lot of work goes into it, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, find me on Twitter at Joe Weidra, NFLMocks.com, all that good stuff. Always appreciate it, G. Enjoy the draft, and I'm sure we'll be uh, texting when the Bears come on the clock at 7. Oh, you know it, brother. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, G. And that's the end of this show. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and the .com website, G-C-L-E-O, that's G-E-E-S-C-E-L-I-O. Check out my mockery of a mock draft on NGSCSports.com. Um, that's about it, man. I guess I'll see y'all next week. Bear with me. Am I brave enough? Am I strong enough? To follow the desire that burns from within? To push away my fear? To stand where I'm afraid? I am through with this. Cause I am more than this. I promise to myself.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.